Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded on the 7th of November 2020. I'm Joe and with me is Drew. Hey Joe, how you been? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a while since we've been on air together. Uh, I think it was April-ish, wasn't it, last time we were together on air? Something like that, yeah, back in the Choose Linux heyday. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for people who don't know who Drew is, we used to work together once upon a time and did Choose Linux together, and uh, I taught you how to edit properly, I seem to recall. (laughs) You could say that, and I've picked up some new tricks since. Oh, right. You'll have to teach me. You did teach me stuff as well, to be fair. Yeah. Mostly about EQ. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to talk about today is your new job, essentially, because you were a full-time editor and part-time podcast host when we worked together, but then that didn't work out for reasons, and so you had to get a proper job and go back to your roots. Let's talk a bit about your history first. You weren't always an audio. Well, I can, you kind of were and weren't, like you've been into computers for a long time, right? Yeah, so I started messing with computers when I was like nine and kept going at it all through high school, all through college. Meanwhile, I was pursuing a career in pro audio, which I did do. I was an audio engineer uh, professionally for live audio for years. Um, But at the same time, I was always kind of doing computing stuff in the background. And eventually, I wanted to try my hand at doing pro computer science, essentially. And so I took a job with an MSP, and I was doing essentially high-end technical support. And I did that for like five years before I joined the JB team. So I've been kind of one foot in each door for like my whole life. And so since I've known you, you've used Linux for everything. Like if you can possibly do it using Linux, you will do that. Whether that is downloading some dodgy proprietary binary to use as an audio workstation or doing everything via virtualization, you will just always use Linux if you possibly can, right? Yeah, well, and part of that is because I'm just really, really, really comfortable on Linux. I've been using it for 20 years, so it's kind of like a second skin for me. And there are times when you have to work on other stuff, sure, but... A lot of times there are ways to get Linux to hook into that other thing so that you can do the work, which I've been doing for a long time. And you're always changing things, always trying new stuff. What distro are you using at the moment? Uh, Right now I am using Fedora 33, and I have a couple of really good reasons for that. Namely, I was having some issues with Pop. I ended up breaking it because I I tried out Sway on Pop. And to be fair, Sway worked, but I had one little niggling issue that isn't even worth talking about, but it made me angry enough that I was going to go back to Gnome. And it turns out I had broken Gnome by setting up Sway. <laughs> right. So Fedora 33 just came out. Let's give that a roll. And... um it's been great. It's been rock solid. So I've been on Fedora 33 uh, really since then. Because you have used Silverblue in the past, but that isn't quite ready yet then. No, especially not for what I'm doing. I need a little more control over the base OS. And uh, Silverblue is just a little too locked out. And it's really, it's made more for people who are working directly with containers, like building containers and deploying containers. And for somebody who's like an audio engineer, 
when you're trying to do something in it, you are hacking around what they're trying to actually do with Silverblue to the point where you may as well just use regular Fedora. And I do really think that Silverblue is like the way of the future. But until Pipewire is rock solid and a lot more things are going into Flatpak, and I can really do pro audio through Flatpak, I think it's just a little ways off yet. So it's the way of the future, but not quite the present. Exactly, yes. So this new job of yours, it's not tech support, it's a proper sysadmin job, right? Yes, my title is Senior System Administrator for the Colorado Community College System. And just to get it out there, any opinion I express in here is strictly mine, blah, 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 just something, you know, you kind of have to do these days. But yeah, it is a straight up senior system administrator position, uh, borderline DevOps, and it's been really great so far. I've been there a few weeks now. And so you're dealing with a bunch of Linux servers mostly then? bunch of Linux and Windows servers. Uh, I'm not really doing any kind of end-user technical support anymore. Um, It's all about making sure that the base systems are up to scratch and running properly, and if a problem happens, catching it and fixing it. Roughly how many servers are you looking after then? Five, six hundred, somewhere in there. I don't know, I kind of lost count. I'm still getting my sea legs about where everything is, what everything is, and how many of everything is. But last time I looked in um, in Tower, which is our Ansible deployment system, it's uh, 500-something servers. Right. Now, you mentioned that it's for Colorado. You don't live in Colorado. You live the other side of the country, virtually. So how does that work? I mean, obviously, with SSH and everything, but... My understanding is they gave you a Windows laptop, but they didn't actually give it to you, right? They just turned it on in an office somewhere. Yeah, we actually, uh, uh, my coworker went and found it today and um, figured out exactly what room it's in based on what the webcam was showing. So uh, we know where it is physically now, uh, which didn't know that until today. But yeah, it's, um, I'm working on moving out there. And that's taking time. I've got to sell my house. So, you know, if anybody is looking for a nice house in Savannah, Georgia, call me. Uh, You know, I'm looking to sell. (laughs) But what they're doing is they've set up this laptop so I can remote into that laptop. And I'm essentially using it as a jump host. So I will start my day off booting up my home computer, which is a you know, proper desktop, currently running Fedora 33. And then I boot up a virtual machine of Windows that is running in pass-through uh, because I play video games on it and stuff like that. And that is giving me video through Looking Glass and audio through Scream. And I use that to log in to my laptop remotely because the remote logging software doesn't work currently very well on Linux. So that's Citrix you use in there? Yep, it is Citrix desktop. And you also told me that it actually gets more complicated than that because once you end up in your Colorado laptop, you're not even using Windows properly, using WSL. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, It's... Uh, probably like a 70-30 split. Yes, I'm using WSL. Unfortunately, right now, due to some limitations on that laptop, which I'll probably fix once I get my hands physically on it. Uh, But right now, I am limited to WSL 1, Ah. which is 
fine. I can do everything I need to do on it, but it's not the new stuff. So, you know, it's not as cool as some of the other kids have their setups, right? But I'm using WSL uh, primarily as like my SSH client. And yes, I can do it in PowerShell and I have done it in PowerShell, but it's just kind of awesome to be able to have tab completion with history completion in Fish. So I use that all the time. But using Windows for things like web browsers and editing and email and everything else that I have to do, that's all done on Windows. Yeah, so you're doing all the usual sort of corporate stuff on the Windows side, but then for the the actual Linux server stuff, that's when WSL is coming in handy. Yeah, it's very enterprisey, And given that we do have a lot of Linux servers, uh, the majority of our servers being Linux, I do end up doing a lot of stuff with Linux servers. I am doing a lot in WSL, but to say that I'm doing everything in that would definitely be misleading. And so... How much of a limitation are you finding in WSL then, rather than just being able to go straight from your local Linux box, having to, I mean, there must be latency and stuff. By the time you've virtualized to Windows, connected via Citrix, then used WSL and then SSH out of that. I mean, surely there must be latency. You're typing and then waiting a, a second or whatever for it to appear on the screen. Well... Kind of. So the latency from my desktop to my VM, my local VM, is next to nothing. I mean, it's a it's a pass-through KVM libvert setup. So, you know, it's fast enough for gaming. So it's certainly fast enough for doing random, you know, everything else. Yeah. The Citrix bit, usually it's pretty good. Sometimes I get some slowdowns and there's some waiting, some pausing, some just kind of spinning. But it's not that bad. It's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, To the point where I mentioned to my boss, you know, if the laptop doesn't ship over to me before I move to Colorado, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. It hasn't been nearly the hindrance that I thought it was going to be. So you are kind of the almost typical case of someone who's using Windows at work, but connecting to Linux servers. You presumably now understand more about why Canonical and Microsoft did WSL in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And not just WSL, but really the whole stack that Microsoft is doing has been life-changing. Like, The things that I'm doing now would have been so much more painful before. And I did have an option of going to a Mac, but I decided to go to Windows because of WSL and because of how powerful I know VS Code is. And also, admittedly, partially because I knew I would be doing a lot of Windows server management. And that's just a lot easier to do from a Windows computer than it is from a Mac. Are you doing that from PowerShell then? PowerShell and the GUI tools, um, the the main thing is I don't have to like remote into another server to be able to manage a server. I can do it directly from my desktop. Now, there are other tools now, which I have actually deployed, that allow you to manage a whole bunch of servers through a web console, which is really, really handy. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to, you know, 
jump directly from my desktop to a server's control panel and adjust settings if I need to. So the Linux servers then, is that RHEL or Ubuntu or what? We are a Red Hat shop. So it is all RHEL. Oh, so using Fedora on the desktop kind of helps there to kind of keep you in that same Red Hat-y mindset rather than the, you know, apt and Debian way of doing it. Uh, I mean, kind of, but at this point, like I said, I've been doing this, you know, Linux thing for 20 years, and that's been split around between Ubuntu, Debian, Arch, uh, Fedora, all of the random distros that we tested on Choose Linux. I mean, I've I've been around the block. I know my way around a far larger amount of Linux ecosystems than I think I could even really remember off the top of my head. So I don't know that that really matters. Well, don't you find yourself getting confused, though? Not Not necessarily getting confused, but just sort of doing an app to get installed and then oh no hang on no i'm on a red hat system so i need to do dnf like you don't you find (laughs) stuff like that well okay yeah sure but i'll tell you what i get more hung up on remembering that i'm on an older rel system and having to use yum than i do forgetting whether i'm on a debian base or a rel base Right. And some of the um, config file locations and stuff are different, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But I mean, once you kind of know it, you remember where they are as you're looking for them and you recognize which directories you're in and, oh, yeah, okay, I need to go over here and not over here. And it's just, it's not that bad. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your Linux environment. By uniting metrics and events from servers, databases, applications, and more, Datadog can easily give you a unified view into your entire infrastructure. Easily identify hidden sources of latency, like overloaded hosts, by monitoring server metrics alongside application data. With machine learning-based alerts and features like anomaly detection, Datadog can also help you to monitor and alert on the health of your servers in real-time without alert fatigue. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash late night Linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. Quick bit of admin then. Thank you everyone who is supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It makes episodes like this possible. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. I remember back in the Choose Linux days, you were raving about VS Code, so presumably you're still using that then. I am using it more now than I ever was before. And I've also started getting my coworkers into it. They've been hardcore Vim users for forever. And I started showing them, oh, look, you know, you can remote into servers. You can install these plugins. Like today, we were trying to figure out how to write this code for a load balancer. And I just went straight into the VS Code um, extensions repo and typed in the Uh, appliance that we were working on. And sure enough, there's an extension for writing the exact thing that we were having trouble with, with code completion, right there, one click install. And there you go, Bob's your uncle, you're off and going. So using a lot of VS Code, I am, I don't think I close my VS Code window all day. 
Now, if I was going to install VS Code, I'd use a snap. And so that's reminded me to ask you this. Are you using any snaps on these servers? Or are you just sticking to pure um, RHEL? Uh, no, we're not doing any snaps. We are... I wouldn't say sticking to pure RHEL because we do have, you know, of course, third-party applications that run on top. Mm. But the base is not really going the snap direction. We are doing a lot with containers. We're starting to work with Kubernetes and Docker. Uh, so we're going that direction and not so much the single-service container that snaps are. I asked you about the snaps thing because Canonical have got a bit of a PR problem when it comes to snaps. I personally think they're fine and, okay, they have some limitations or whatever, and I use them for stuff like Zoom, for example. And uh, when I used to have Slack installed, I'd do that via the snap because it's just much easier. But they do seem to have this PR problem. I'm not a snap hater like a lot of people out there, but I don't really have a use case for them if I'm being completely honest. And in the enterprise, I don't know who will. So much of the world is going towards, you know, proper containerization and especially Kubernetes. You know, we have so many things that are designed to scale now. And aside from, you know, somebody deploying an Ubuntu server and deploying their microcates, I'm not sure how snaps fit in there. I think you're right about IoT. And I think for home labs, they're great. But for anybody who is doing stuff at scale, I just, I don't see that they have a spot in this world. So I'm just, I'm not convinced that they're a great way to go and really a great place to put all your eggs. So while I appreciate what Canonical has done, I kind of think it's too little too late. Like snaps would have been amazing five years ago if they were where they are now. But these days, this problem is solved with Docker, with Podman, with Rancher, with OpenShift, which are all things that are widely in deployment and more flexible and just generally better understood by the market. So I don't see them getting a lot of traction, especially not in enterprise. And on the desktop, of course, if you're using GNOME, then flat packs are really well integrated, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I still have some trouble with Pipewire with them, um, but that's because I'm a jerk who likes to play with like pre-release stuff. I'm actually running yeah. Pipewire nightly right now, and uh, <laughs> the good news is I've got Pulse, I've got Jack, and I also have Flatpaks working with Pipewire. But at the same time, I managed to break my screen sharing, which, okay, yeah, whatever. I can work around that. Not a huge deal. And occasionally, my flat packs will start uh, jittering, where, like, the audio seems like it's uh, trying to go to a different bit rate and failing horribly. And I just restart the flat pack, and it starts working again. But contrast that to what problems I had with snaps, where they just completely killed jack for me and they were a non-starter because i need that pro audio stuff 
I'm suddenly very worried about this recording. Thankfully, I've got a mumble backup, so if it sounds terrible, that's why. I had to use that, and uh, your <laughs> nightly of pipe wire made it just not work and killed your flack. Well, the good news is the pipe wire jack side has been rock-solid stable for me. So I have no concerns about that with my local recording in the Reaper. That, I have not had a single crash uh, since I first started testing it with a Fedora 33 Alpha way back when. It's just the flat packs that really give me trouble. Even Pulse has been fine. Right. It's funny how different your approach is to audio on Linux. Mine is set something up and just stick to it. I'm still on it's Ubuntu 18.04 talking to you. I still haven't upgraded to 20.04. 18.04, you madman. That's so new. <laughs> I know, I know. It's new for me. But I do have another <laughs> SSD that's got 20.04 in it that I'm testing and stuff. But I just, I don't know how you do it, man, doing audio stuff. Like, just having it break all the time. You remind me of a guy who lived opposite me when I was a, a tiny kid. And rumors were that he would drive around his old cars at night, like really rev them as much as possible to try and break them so that he had something to fix. And he'd always have like a couple of cars, like really old cars up on bricks or whatever. You remind me of that. Like you just, you're almost trying to break it just so you can fix it. Well, that's how I grew up, man. Like, how do you learn how to fix the VCR if you don't break it? How do you <laughs> learn how to fix an OS if you don't break it? If you don't have the experience of breaking something and putting it back together, how do you know what its insides are made of? Like, that's that's the way I've done things my whole life. And in a lot of ways, it's that garage tinkerer mentality. You know, I, I learned how to solder when I was in my teens. My dad taught me about changing out fuses instead of throwing out something that stopped working. Like, that's ingrained in my DNA. Yeah, and it is for me as well. But I will do my tinkering on a separate machine. I'll never do it on my main production machine. And that's fair. And a lot of times, if it's a big change, and it's something that I know could, like, break something that I need in, you know, an hour or two hours or before I could really fix it, I won't make that change. Or I'll make it on my laptop and play with it and make sure it works and then do it on the machine that is really more critical. Because I do show up for work on time every day. And I need to make sure that my system is ready for that, for sure. But at the same time, I know that worst case scenario, I could have Ubuntu or Fedora spun up and working with everything that I need in like two hours. So you'd only be a couple of hours late for work then. You don't have a backup Windows machine with Citrix then, just in case. Well, here's the thing. That VM is sitting on a separate hard drive that anytime I change anything on my system, it doesn't get touched. In fact, that VM is not even in like a virtual disk. It is written directly to the disk. I'm passing through that disk. So the whole OS is totally separate from anything I might mess up on the server side. So even if I do decide, oh, I'm just going to blow away Fedora and install Ubuntu, doesn't matter that VM's still there. All I got to do is set up the pass-through, which is really pretty simple. You're a madman, Drew. I don't know how you do it, living on the edge like that. I have a laptop which is set up exactly like my desktop, and that's my backup. If my desktop were to die or whatever, then I could just quickly grab that laptop and everything would be set up and working perfectly. So I just don't know how you can 
do it. I mean, you say that like our worst case scenario, a couple of hours, but that couple of hours could count, man. Well, but that's what I'm saying is I don't do this at like nine o'clock in the morning when I have to show up at work at 10 because of the time shift. You know, that's 8 a.m. Colorado time. Uh, This would be something that I wouldn't ever do that close to work. The night before, however, yeah, it's fair game. Right. Fair enough. So you might do it on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. Drew, you might have to come back at some point and tell us about your crazy adventures in Linux. And uh, if people want to hear more of you, then they should get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. But uh, if people want to contact you directly, where should they go? Best place is Twitter. I am at Drew of Doom. All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining me, man. And uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a fun time.